how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Katie Rex is a DJ, promoter, and producer. She has founded one of New York's most awesome techno fetish parties, has a powerful story around her own sexuality and journey within recovery. Katie is a wise, funny badass, and we are thrilled to talk to her today on Sober Sex. Truly, one of our favorite episodes, Lily's Virgin Voyage, Maiden Voyage, I would say. <laughs> virgin Voyage. Maiden <laughs> <laughs> um, At the helm of Sober Sex, and like, such a rad conversation. How'd you feel? I, it was great, you know, and I learned a lot, and I, I did in some ways feel a little out of my element on topics that I'm not as familiar with as you two. It's like you two speak a language that I'm just kind of learning along with you, and yet I did feel like I had some questions that may seem obvious to you guys, but maybe not to everyone who's listening, so it, it helped me to understand this world a little bit better. Awesome. I'm so happy to have that perspective because it can be very easy to be like, get into kind of a niche. Yeah. And I wonder if there's anything that, like, we, that now you would want to ask to clarify before we begin the episode to the listener. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't really think so. I think that it kind of unfolded in a way that things were, you know, easier to understand. But it was at first, I was like really having to hang on every word to make sure I really understood the dynamic of what you're talking about. So I was fascinated by it. And honestly, there were a couple things that were brought up that I'm going to, take with me tonight and keep thinking about because I hadn't thought about them in that way. Awesome. Well, we hope you too, dear listener, will enjoy this conversation with the fantastic Katie Rex. Oh my goodness. Welcome to Sober Sex, Katie Rex, who is just telling us about the origins of her name, which we know is every DJ's favorite question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Katie Rex was my MySpace name and it has followed me to my professional resume (laughs) and now it's my name what does k stand for well my my name is katie um but that there was like a middle k in there at one point because when i started djing i just went by k rex because like so many people still called me katie rex Mm -hmm. and i was trying to like phase out of that but like it just didn't make any sense (laughs) so it was like k rex yeah, and not, oh, then I was just like, why even try and, like, change this? Like, I have to accept this as part of my full being. <laughs> I like, Louisa says it like it's one word. Katie corrects. Katie corrects. Yeah. <laughs> but, totally. you know, I mean, relate, in, but in, like, an even darker form is, like, when I started DJing, that band Hot Hot Heat was yeah. of, of note. And I actually, I like their music <laughs> as a electro-emo teen. Um, but I remember I would put, like, I would sign emails with the H's in parentheses and people would be like, what do you have to do with hot, hot heat? Are you in that band? I'm like, no, I'm 18. 
<laughs> but I think people occasionally hired me just because there was they were like, oh, she's part of Hot Honey. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, so first things first, what are your pronouns? Uh, she, her. She, her. She, her as well. Beautiful. And thrillingly, this is Lily's first episode as host of Sober yeah. Sex. Whoa. So you're, you're, you're breaking <laughs> us in, as, as it were. Um, and where are you? Um, I'm in Brooklyn. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, very cool. How is it there right now? It's hot, but, <laughs> you know, uh, everyone's just, like, acting like a maniac, and it seems like a global affair. Yeah. Yeah. Although I feel like it's it's weird because it's happening in waves. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, so it's like there's months of staggered, crazy behavior, but now that people are starting to travel, it feels like that like it's kind of you're you're watching a tide of insanity kind of take over the world and I mean I do feel like New York in particular is like horny as fuck (laughs) yeah I think that like after fourth of July weekend like everyone already blew their load so to speak so now people (laughs) are just like in like demonic maniac phase (laughs) (laughs) what does that look like um it looks like I don't even know. Like a lot of sweat and a lot of like really bloodshot eyes. (laughs) True demons. Oh, I love it. Oh my God. Especially like on the subway or in like public spaces, you're like, man, this is like a global issue. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Like, and a smell like you forgot what other people smelled like in the pandemic. And now it's like, Oh, that's ripe. (laughs) Oh my God. There's like an amazing tweet, I guess going around that says wow Brooklyn techno people really all just use natural deodorant (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes as a as a French techno person I'm also using natural deodorant and um, yeah I think it's okay but like I might be wrong (laughs) no no, you're great but I'm noticing that now too I spent a year not smelling people and now I'm like very aware of all the people smells everywhere in Paris and I feel like also this is a place where people accept the body odor a little more than they do in Los Angeles. So. Oh, yeah. Totally. With it. Cars. And you don't have air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whew, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's also, like, another reason to, like, not use the fucking metro. It's like, yes. one, it's <laughs> pandemic. Two, you stank. <laughs> yeah, and the air is thick. Oh. Yeah. Um, yes, the air is indeed thick with the scent of other human life. <sighs> um, so how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm just like falling back into place, working again, being a maniac. So <laughs> with the other maniacs. <laughs> yes. And and what's that look like? What's the kind of rhythm feeling like these days? Um I'm just like in a mad rush to like make it all happen again and after a year of um, um, <laughs> after a year of kind of just like meditating on everything and like quitting my like career and nightlife in my head and then like coming back to it and being excited. Um, now I'm like finally in a really amazing place where like, I feel so connected to everyone again and I'm ready to just like do the good work for the community. Oh my goodness. That's so, so beautiful. 
Well, yeah, it feels really good. On, like the full return to, to Thank form. You. I think it's been like challenging to see the the possibility of a future just because it kept getting pushed back so that at a certain point it was like, I was thinking about retraining to be a therapist. <laughs> yeah. You totally. have to keep doors open. And yeah. I mean, how has nightlife felt different for you in recent months? Um, I haven't really gone out very much, but um, I'm not ready to have like a wild summer, I guess right. like everyone right. else is like, I'm still kind of like, falling back into place. Um, and I guess I just, um, I guess like I'm just ready to like make really like more than ever before, like intentional spaces mm. and do everything really thoughtfully instead of like throwing things together because like a venue is asking for it or a person's asking for it, just like everything needs to be aligned. And I I feel like I feel aligned. So that means that my output can be aligned. Love that. Totally. I mean, it's interesting. Like I was just in therapy and I was talking about like conveniently therapy is right before sober sex. Um, but talking about like not having any energy for shit that is like my body is like nah, <laughs> yeah. And I can't, yeah. Like I can't make myself do it, and I can imagine like just the level of effort it requires to like throw an event, much less yeah. like the house, much less throw an event. Totally. <laughs> then, like, of course, it has to be like intentional and aligned. But we like I think prior to this, there was such like a rhythm of kind of chaos mm-hmm. that it was very easy just to be like okay to literally everything as opposed to like, actually, does my body want it? No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, we've had a lot of conversation about that in the pandemic. And it's just kind of like, I would say yes to everything because I felt like it was my duty to other human beings to, you know, say yes to everything. And so I think keeping that safe, that space for like, not just things, but people, like I really whittled down the amount of people. And I love that you use the word intentional because I feel like that's absolutely it's like intentional, the people and the thing, you know, people I choose to spend my time with and the things I choose to do. And that's kind of made it a really special time. But, um, so you recently threw a massive bound and Tom of Finland party that had lines around the block. Um, what was it like to emerge from this crazy year into a full blown club chaos? Um, speaking of intention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was just like a really exciting moment. Like, for me, in that time, it felt like the first party after the apocalypse. Yeah. Because everybody was vaccinated. Um, we weren't really nervous about the Delta variant yet. Right. And, like, it just yeah. felt... Yeah, it just felt um, really good. And most of the crowd, you know, it was a public event, but, like the majority of the people there were like dressed to the nines for a kink celebration. Um, And definitely everyone there was there for bound. Like it was RSVP mandatory. So uh, it just felt like really invigorating. Like it made it 
I mean, I guess I should preface that the event when I started planning it like six weeks prior was thought to be like a seated DJ event. Like <laughs> oh, we were kind of DJ event. Obviously. Right. Like <laughs> what does that look like? I don't think anybody's done it actually successfully. Right. Like, but I really <laughs> thought like Laban, you know, like you have just like lots of couches and maybe like a server and then there's the roof. So people could like stand and socialize maskless there, which is like where the regulations were at that time. But then it just like every four days, it feels like it kept evolving. So, um, to a pitch. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, that's so exciting. Like I had my first gig back last Saturday and my, I felt kind of disorganized. Like I used uh, the, the syncing my playlist of the pandemic was not a successful endeavor. Totally. <laughs> so like, it was really, it was like kind of stressful to play, but like afterwards just da- like, it was the first time I think even since like prior to the pandemic, I don't really like go out dancing because it's yeah. like, but a bunch of like newly sober people came out and it was their first rave and recovery. And like, mm-hmm. it was just like, so I, I forgot that level of like acute joy yeah. Of like just being like dan- like literally just jumping up and down for two hours with your friends. Totally. <laughs> like, all this shit, but it is amazing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like I didn't remember what that felt like in my body and why it was like really important. <laughs> well, and probably when you're doing gigs all the time, that kind of thing doesn't feel as sacred and special as it does after a year of not being able to do it. So that's kind of totally. Yeah. I mean, kind of like what you were saying, like the people making an effort like a community being present with each other is like really something else like so speaking of bound like how did it kind of come come to be because it's really one of new york if not like america's best kink techno crossover spaces totally so i um i (laughs) used to throw a party in Philly called Factory Girls, which was like a femme-centric kind of like hyper-feminized celebration of... uh, This is not coming out right. It was like a hyper-celebration of femininity, like regardless Mm -hmm. of gender, um, because you know, especially at that time in like the early 2010s, like that's when the disparities between like specifically like at that time, like it was like a woman versus male thing, like disparity in the DJ world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was just starting DJing and I couldn't get booked for shit. So I just started throwing my own party that centered around like myself and my friends so we could essentially just like have a gig. Um, And that kind of evolved into this really beautiful space and, um, you know, obviously expanded on much more than just being like a cis woman DJ space. Um, And the conversation really grew, but it also what, became something that wasn't as focused on like my general interests um where I um have been in 
fetish spaces and like industrial goth spaces since I could leave my parents' house without them. (laughs) Um, So I kind of wanted to like re-enter kink spaces where I didn't just have these two separate worlds of like um, my electronic music nightlife and um, then like what my friends in that world would call Katie's underworld. <laughs> and, uh, I like how they named it specifically. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, they just be like, oh, that's your like weird life that we don't like care for. <laughs> so when I moved to New York and I always had this idea, like when I started like musing on like what I could do differently of like this space called bound where I could take like a bunch of like, younger, queerer um, cuties and have this, like, fetish space centered around, like, art, fashion, and music and the whole culture that wasn't so, like, heteronormative and, like, bogged down by the traditional roles of the BDSM community. Um, And was definitely more centered on like consent practices and ethical practices, which like no shade to the elders of the community, but those conversations just like weren't really happening when I was younger in that community. Yeah. It seems like that that whole kind of like shade to fake doms, like this, this idea of like the kind of the popularization of like the ask a sub Instagram, or even just kind of like, fetish fashion which I kind of have mixed feelings about but that like a kind of normalization of actually borrowing ideas from kink and fetish spaces and and mainstreaming them into not only club culture but like the culture of consent that we really want to be building towards like that seems all like very fresh totally so yeah I just like um kind of went with that and when I moved to Brooklyn I, you know, made a lot of friends and there was like this more like um, dark centric, like techno motion, like carrying over from Berlin, I guess it, like the bird kind effect. And <laughs> it's like the butterfly this, effect, but darker. Right. And like in this space, like I found this group of kids that were like showing up to parties with like floggers and everybody would gawk at them (laughs) and they were cute and they were young. And I, you know, I became friends with these people and then I was like working in sex work spaces and there were all of these sex workers who, you know, have to hide their lives. Like when they go out and when they date until like a certain point, I'm like, why don't we just like, forge these worlds and I started this like 75 capacity Thursday night party in Brooklyn like very specific to like these groups of people I was interacting with and that's the bound origin I guess beautiful yeah and how did it kind of grow into what it is now because that's like that seems like a, a seed of something that has really, you've really managed to kind of keep the integrity of. Right. So 
I was booking the DJs that, you know, I loved in Brooklyn and like then kind of getting a couple of like more community based, like traveling artists. Um, and it just kind of seemed like we were getting traction and outgrowing the space. And like, even the artists that I were friends with, like they would do it for a special fee, but like, I couldn't really pay people anything. I was, you know, anything of significance unless like I was really like losing a lot of money and the club elsewhere opened in Brooklyn and I was friends with a booker. So I kind of just saw this opportunity to take it from being this experience like for, I mean, it was still for the people it was for, but then kind of like putting it on a platform and being like, this is the music we like. Like, we deserve to be in these big nightclub spaces. We deserve to have the artists, the international artists that we want to book. And, you know, we can create this space where we essentially, like, show people, like, you might feel alien to this scene, but we feel alienated in all of your spaces. Mm. And... um it really like broadcasts like the fact that everybody to a certain degree engages in sex work. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you really think about sex work, like I've been having these conversations a lot and this kind of like veers into another one, but um, Um, I was in a museum lobby about to have a meeting a few weeks ago And I saw this dominatrix I've worked with and am friendly with. And she was just shopping for prints for her apartment. And she was at a dungeon in the neighborhood. And it was lunch hour, maybe right after a lunch hour. And she told me she was just coming from a session. And I was like, that's great. Like, bye. And then when I met with the woman from the museum, um, we were talking about cake sitting And she was like, oh, I think this might be like too much for our director. And I was like, well, what if I told you this cake cinder, Lindsay Dye, had her MFA? Does that change to you your perception of this person as like a weird sex worker or is she now an academic artist? Yeah, a performance artist. A person of value in your world now, you know? And she was like, well, that's an interesting perspective. And then I told her, I was like, I just saw a dominatrix in the gift shop, which means that the client that she was just with is probably walking past the museum right now. And more likely than not, he's in a suit. And more <laughs> likely than not, he's um, going back to his finance job. So really the majority of the people that engage in sex work aren't the people that you see at bound in kinkware. It's everybody else in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's interesting too. Cause like so much of the kind of conversation around kink can be a conversation around like shame. Right. You know, where do we put, where do we put that? And when, like, when is it a turn on and when is it like a public kind of, 
a front. Right. I guess. So inviting a bunch of like outward kinksters into a space is not really that progressive of an idea. It's just Mm -hmm. a platform and a space where like, it's okay. And like, there's no reason. And I say, I use this as an example all the time. People think I'm like Rihanna's biggest fan, but it's, <laughs> there's no reason Rihanna shouldn't be singing a radio hit about S and M. And it's still a weird concept. Like yeah, this right. idea of S and M. And like, then people are like, there's the gatekeepers of the community who are like, Oh, like, why is this pop star singing about S&M? And then it's like, well, she has a lingerie brand and they sell crops. So, and she wears latex and leather. Why is it such a strange idea that a black pop star might be part of the kink community? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like, I think that especially kind of given the, like, spaces are feel intentionally challenging to navigate. Like it does feel like the gatekeepers are like, for instance, FetLife, the Facebook of, <laughs> of fetish websites is like entirely archaic, like an entirely, and like hilariously difficult to navigate. Like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I mean, and it feels like that there is a, a, an intentional kind of um, keeping things obscure yeah, you know, and, it, and it's interesting that I do think that there is like some. I wonder what the fear is surrounding, hmm. like, allowing people in or somehow like not judging when people express themselves is like somehow not not really kinky, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think it's all to like everyone's discretion, but I think that if this is something that like you choose to hide for whatever reason, um you can't shame people for your shame. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, a lot of the world does that. Yes. <laughs> right. For everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially again, like as women. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as like, I don't know. It's interesting. Once again, David therapist comes up with this idea of like the, the social messages we've, as women been getting for centuries are like, you have to kind of control your sexuality in order to not tempt men. Therefore we're going to shame you for whenever you express anything sexual. Yeah. Um, unless it's pleasing to us, in which case we are going to first praise you and, and then shame you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, I have never really taken that kind of on board. And generally my attitude is like, you can fuck right off. This is for me. But like, I do wonder uh, like when it does in, in interacting with the outside world, when that makes my life more dangerous, you know, for mm-hmm. one, like mm-hmm. being like, it's mine, fuck off. And like, at one, at what point will I like hear the ceiling with that? And like, how do I kind of have sensitivity to my physical safety and not kind of like being a temptress? Totally. <laughs> but, but also, I mean, and again, like in a public kind of kink space, like bound and kind of own my sexuality and own the way I wear it into the world, you know, like, and to the fact that that's like a novel question says a lot about the culture in which we live, you know? Yeah, absolutely. God, it just occurred to me as we're talking that like shame in general, it's not something that just sprouts up inside a person without any outside influence. Like it's all passed along from somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? 
it's like that's kind of a crazy thought that never really occurred to me that way. Yeah, I remember seeing somebody speak at a twelve-step meeting in, in New York and being like, "I I drop it. Like that is yours. I'm not yeah, carrying none of it is mine. Yeah, <laughs> being like that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like I'm gonna borrow that because it's like such a like mind breaker. It yeah, it was breaking my mind right now. So so just a quick rewind for you personally. What are some of the first messages that you received around sex and sexuality? Oh man, I feel like um, I. It's kind of hard to bring this up because of who this person has been like shown to be in actuality, but I have like very vivid memories of my feelings and attraction surrounding um Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People I knew it (laughs) um like seeing this person in the like femme form bodysuit um like lit off like matches in my brain that Mm -hmm. I couldn't even like begin to understand um and that's kind of when, like, how, I guess, like, my sexuality began to, like, fall into itself, where, like, um, my ideas around sexuality always involved BDSM, because, like, it's it would be interesting for me to actually look back and explore, like, the media that I was shown and, like, drawn to, But I remember, like, being a preteen and, like, considering, like, collars and leashes as, like, very, like, sexualized things. And then, like, being a teen, falling into, like, goth worlds, like, my friends and I would always, whatever, we were, like, corny, edging on mall goths. But, like, we'd walk each other around on leashes on, like, South Street in Philadelphia. And, like, (laughs) we were, like, wearing bondage pants, which, like aren't necessarily like kink items, but like everything was revolving around this like idea of like sexuality and like subversive sexuality. Um, from a, from an early age, the, your first ideas of sex were always subversive. Um, I think that I covered that. that. Okay. I so, actually have a okay. random question that it. kind Go of crazy. came up for me as I was listening to you, which is, do you think if Bound had come into fruition during the time that you were a teenager in the cultural, you know, in the in what that present moment looked like, do you think it would have landed the same way? Or do you think it was kind of a product of the times and it really landed well when it did? I'm sort of curious. Oh, wow. That's like a really good question. Um, I think that like with... I mean, culture has just changed so much and, like, the way that we see, like, all different kinds of people and, like, gosh, like, I think a lot about Madonna's um, book Sex Mm -hmm. and that, like, didn't fall in a specific time where, like, the world was necessarily ready for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it happened, and 
like it was a cultural staple. And I think a lot of people like just like generally don't even like when they think of Madonna, they don't even consider that, you know, um, especially now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kind of, like, yeah. Confessions on the dance floor. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I think that this could have worked at any point in time. Like if the space was made in the same kind of way, mm-hmm. um, there's been like, gay male centered BDSM spaces forever. And that also like there are leather bars that certainly welcome like women, but you know, in 1992, Gianni Versace did um, his S and M collection. And um, you, we have, um, Howitt Newton, whose photo I sent you, like, yeah, totally. These things have, this is like age old and like the intersection of like queerness and like the aesthetic choices, like in high fashion and the power dynamics have been around forever. Like as long as it could be documented whether that no, was legal or not. So I think yeah, if bound was a space, it totally could have functioned. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, no, that's really interesting. And it's, it's also like, I think part of what makes it like an entry point and also like a, a safe space for the, the people who, for whom it was made is this idea that it kind of uh, intersects with techno culture hmm. in a way that kind of, feels accessible from both ends, from both the kink side and kind of like you are booking really impressive names kind of in techno for techno's sake, you know? And that's like, I think that might be the kind of the novel part of it. Cause you know, yeah. like the, the goth fetish industrial nights have like either great music or really bad music. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so like kind of to, to, regress from that point of like, you know, walking friends around on leashes on South street in Philly, what was like, how did your kind of journey evolve from there? Um, interesting. So <laughs> we, my friends and I would go to this Wednesday night, all ages party called Nocturne, which was a goth night at a club called shampoo. And I think that, um, you know, the people in those spaces, like, really, like, it was very tantalizing. Um, So from there, you know, we started going to, like, the fetish parties at the same club. And then I started working as, like, uh, at the time it was called a slave girl when I was, like, of age. Um... And yeah, I like, I wanted to work at the foot place (laughs) and I (laughs) wanted to do like the slave girl stuff. It wasn't like a means to an end. It was like, these were things that like I was supremely interested in and wanted to know about and wanted to be a part of. Awesome. And can, for, for the layman, can you describe what like that entailed? Um, 
I guess like being a pro sub was being like, it's the same as like visiting a dominatrix, but the backwards reverse. <laughs> um, and um, the, the foot events are like foot fetish events um, where like people pay um, for a myriad of things with in this situation, like girls in lingerie and bare feet. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I'm actually like, because it does seem like in so many instances that like the kind of assumed, ugh, uh, I don't like this question already. <laughs> like, no, I'm just, I'm just like, so how do you get fucking paid to be a sub? That's amazing. And also how do you keep it safe? Um, many dungeons have this option. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't say I had an exemplary experience cool. in the space that I was in at the time that I was doing it. Um, but like, you know, you enter this community and all of a sudden, like your best friend's a dominatrix and you want to do this thing. So you can just like go where they go. That's <laughs> where like my oh. life led me. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not difficult to like, I don't know. I'm like going to stop myself from speaking out of term because I don't want to like speak on anyone else's experience like entering oh. into this world but for me it was like very fluid and very much just like um a step deeper into like what I was already interacting with yes interesting and you've mentioned like I've heard you on other podcasts talk about like being in like 24 seven power exchanges or that kind of thing. Has you, has your inclination always been swinging submissive or you switchy or you like. So in the past, it definitely was always edging on not edging. It was like a, a absolute, like far right submission. Like, um, yeah, but not, I have like definitely like come past that in my life, um, where I like different roles and I also like even playing fields. Awesome. Yeah. Like I think that's, I that's like, just such a beautiful way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I like definitely worked out some demons. So, um, I like for me personally, not that, um, this is everyone's experience, but like, um, lots of people use like fetish role playing and these things to like deal with traumas or, um, insecurities. And I think that like, um, my BDSM therapy has moved forward. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And did you notice that that was like an intentional thing or that, did that just kind of your shift of interest in like exploring different roles kind of happened 
naturally and almost subconsciously? Um, I think it was natural and it definitely like evolved when I just like knew what I wanted a little more out of like a relationship with someone that was like more of a long-term um, situation than just like fleeting partners. And that's like just very specific to me. And I just want to make it clear that's not for everyone else. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate the clarity. <laughs> so do you feel like the, you know, BDSM was a, a sort of therapy for you? Is that kind of what you were saying? Because I, I guess I'll say like, and prefacing by saying I'm learning so much because I'm way less knowledgeable about all this in this whole world. And I think I had this impression that sort of like whatever weird, like I shouldn't even call them weird, whatever kinks I might have that are a little outside the lines that they are sort of something I'm doing because I'm messed up and not something I'm doing because I'm working through something, if that makes any sense. Like, and I love to hear that they're like a tool that you use, that some of the kink was a tool that you used to get through some things. And then that sort of evolved in terms of what you needed. I, I love that idea. Is that kind of what you were saying? Um, I, I think so. And I don't think I, like, I guess from what I said on like how this interested me, it's not like I became interested in um, BDSM because, like in lieu right. of a trauma. This right, right, right. Is definitely like where my attraction will, I can't imagine otherwise, like it will always lie in this space. But yeah. like how I interact with it mm -hmm. has evolved. Um, and I think like certain things that I leaned more towards were like, um, to get through, um, yeah, certain situations and like insecurities and things. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love that idea. Cause it does remove like the shame from the equation, you know, like it's, well, I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, just like, I, I know that we discussed this idea of like intentionality in the beginning. Yeah. And I think that for me, at least like the healing part was being able to like own my desires and my kinks without shame. Mm -hmm. And in that being able to go from kind of like dating or fucking or seeking love and attention and affection in a way that was like kind of socially acceptable, that was very confusing and like mm -hmm. pretty exhausting. And I always felt like just, I wasn't very good at mm -hmm. into being able to really specifically like look for and ask for what I wanted. And because of the kind of negotiation or consent aspect, um, be able to like be, be clear, first of all, with myself mm -hmm. for like what, what I wanted that to look like mm -hmm. and like articulate that, which I, like, I don't think is actually like a very, it's not, that's not quote unquote, like normative culture. Totally. Yeah. So like, oh, I'm so excited that you get to fucking like be like, oh, it's not because I'm fucked up or bad. Yeah, it's like no. because I know what I want and I'm fucking going for it. I love my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's an evolution. I mean, I love yes. that. Yeah, and also I think that, like that's what we've talked about it on a couple other episodes where kink is involved with this idea that it's not like it's it's totally nonlinear. It's like kind of a spider web of like yeah, like intersecting ideas that are is co-created. Like it yeah. can be like a co-created utopia Completely. of desire. Like 
It's the best. I love that. <laughs> like imagine if kind of like quote unquote like vanilla or whatever like culturally normal quote unquote normal sex was like allowed to explore desire in such a way. Like yeah. It's that would be so beautiful and liberating, but that's I guess we're not that we're not there yet. Yeah. Um, working towards it. Um, so you've also mentioned that you have a, like a long history of recovery in, in an evolving shape and evolving form. Um, how did you arrive in that point that that was necessary and, and like, where, where's that at today? Um, yeah, wow. That's a long story. (laughs) Um, I guess to, oh man, I'll make it as brief as possible. Um, I started using when I was 14, um, and I essentially just wanted like everything I could get my hands on as much as I could get my hands on as often as possible. I like hit the ground running with like, there was no progression Maybe this is like the same as like, I was just, I'm an extremist. Um, and I just like would try things and I'd be like, oh, they say everything that's bad for you is bad for you because it's so good. So. Because <laughs> it's fucking rules. So yeah. all those things, I need to do all those things. Yeah. So I was pretty extreme um, and really good at hiding things from my family who are like the most like angelic, um, pure people on the planet and like bless my parents for <laughs> this journey they've been on with me. Um, but I would like get in trouble and it would like rock their world cause they're like the most traditional, like clean cut people on the planet. And then I'd like be drug tested and like hiding things. And like, um, then they like forget and they were like very trusting. So like (laughs) I would just like disappear saying I'd be like staying at a friend's house for like a month. And you're like, okay, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I'd be, doing maniac things and sleeping maniac places. And, um, eventually I got really messy and like left a ton of, um, like empty bags and crazy things in the room at my parents' house. And my mother decided to clean it. And, um, they called the police. Oh my! <laughs> and uh, um, fortunately, I was, you know, a drug addict, so I was a very skilled liar. And wait, did they called the police on you, or were they like somebody planted oh, these no, maniac drugs? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. So they like brought me in, and I was just like, "It's not mine." If I knew, like. It wasn't on my person, so they're not mine, and you can't do anything about that. And after that, I went um, a, to a year of IOP, like, every day of the week. Um, 
until I like went to college. Um, and in that time I was like, well, I'm getting hair tested. So oh. I'm going to do psychedelics instead. <laughs> so I did acid. No, Smart. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing like acid, um, like multiple times a week, like, um, and just like kind of floating through life and going to raves. Um, and I became a candy raver. It was a dark <laughs> time, but, um, this is when it turned. Yeah, <laughs> this is really when things turned. Um, but then like, yeah, I like moved to New York and, I, like, was a free bird, so I, like, went back to my maniac ways, and um, I, like, kind of stopped doing acid, because as everyone knows, after a while, when you do it all the time, it doesn't really do anything, and you're just, like, kind of always in that space, so, like, and I was doing a lot, like, I was doing, like, a lot like at a time <laughs> and like one night I took like it was like Halloween night and I was with my friend and we took one tab which like when you do it all the time just feels like Christmas morning like everything's exciting and like bright but that's it and like we fell asleep at like two in the morning which was like so early watching angels in the Open outside. my wings to flap them like an angel. Yeah. And I got yeah. over my water. It's fine. Right. Yeah. Right, we'll clean it up. <laughs> but like <laughs> after that point, like something just like snapped in my brain and I was like, I don't need to do any of this anymore. Like that you're like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And like, I will say that like in that year that um, I was in IOP and like, doing 12 steps, but not sober at all. Cause you're I, doing just hallucinogens. Right. But like, there is a lot of value to like, even like, I will definitely recommend till like, I am blue in the face. Um, if you're like having issues with addiction, you should just, go to 12 step meetings, whether you're sober or not, because gaining those tools, like I didn't go, I, maybe I did actually go to some meetings like after that, but I didn't like work the steps after this, but like I knew like from the therapy and from 12 steps, like how to like engage myself in like staying off of drugs and like I have probably like done like hard drugs um four times since then and I was 20 or 19 um, so it worked. I like yeah like and I don't think it's like the acid made me not want to do drugs but I do really think it was like I, like, engage with the knowledge I got, like, from being in a, a, let's say, I wasn't, like, 
doing the program in the right way, but I, from the knowledge I gained in like going to a meeting literally every day, no matter what, um, (laughs) yeah, like, um, yeah, 365 for 365. (laughs) Um, I like it, it changed the way my brain worked, you know? Um, That's awesome. I mean, because I, I think we, we do talk, obviously, on Sober Sex a lot about, like, recovery, and I think it's very helpful to know that, like, people who might not necessarily be, have the desire to stop, but who are curious about it can yeah. still get something from, like, even yeah. just, like, being in proximity to the process. Totally. So, I definitely pushed all of that onto alcohol. So it wasn't all like pure and good, <laughs> but um, then now it must be like uh, four years ago, almost or exactly. Um, I was definitely like at rock bottom. Like some things were working out. A lot of things like weren't. And like I was in a really abusive relationship and I like had to look at myself. I was so unhealthy. I was sick like twice a month. And like, I really had to take a stand back and be like, what is like the constant in my life where like things keep repeating themselves? Mm, Yeah. And the only thing that was the same in my life, like it wasn't my diet. It wasn't like the people I was around necessarily, which like I do have like very old friends, but um, it wasn't like all of these things. And the only catalyst was alcohol. Hmm. So I stopped drinking and um, I went through like, a year of absolute like getting sober hell because mm-hmm. the first year is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And like the first six months is kind of like, whoa, yeah, I'm doing this. But then after that, like you have to face like everything that's like yeah. ever happened to you in your whole fucking <laughs> life. And like I had to basically grow up as like it's an age old trope, but like I had to grow up from being 14 yeah. and I had to like deal with like the things that hurt me when I was 16. And like, um, I, uh, like reached a really good place with myself and like everything you see that like really happened with bound was like in this time. And then yeah. like, I hit a point where like I started, I was also sexless during this time. And was like, that like, an intentional decision that you made to stop drinking? Yeah. Um, so after two years, I was like, I'm ready to start dating again. And I decided that like with dating, like I would go on these dates where I'd have like um, one drink and like when the drink was done the date was over mm. but I have reintroduced alcohol into my life in a very sporadic and um, 
mindful way. Um, so like maybe I'll like drink once every like two months. Um, socially, of course, but, um, my partner's sober, so it's like not part of my life. Awesome. And so like, that was the next question. You are now in a relationship with a sober person and has this changed anything about the way that you think about sex or sobriety or incidentally sober sex? Um, I think that, I mean, it's definitely like, um, been really nice to not have like any like pressures where it's like, well, if you're having a drink, I'll have a drink. Like we don't have to worry about that with like dinner or anything. Um, it's, I fucking love waking up at eight in the morning on a Saturday. Oh (laughs) my God. And like, even after throwing a party. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Like just feeling tired and not like worn out. Yeah. (laughs) is like so nice. And, um, yeah, I just like, as far as like sex goes, like it, I don't know. I, it's kind of like, I guess for me, it's like a lot more like present and mindful and um, like the communication is like almost annoying. There's so much communication. <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'm just like, can we just like do this without like talking about it first? <laughs> um, but like, yes. Um, yeah. I think it's like really great. And like, Um, I wouldn't want anything any other way. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I love that you've like incorporated parts of the sort of sobriety lifestyle into the way that you're living. And I think that's the goal. If you're able, you know, that's amazing. I love that. And as a sober person, it's always nice to have somebody that can like talk the talk who like knows what the fuck we're talking about. We're like character defects. And you're like, "Uh yeah, as opposed to just being like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) So that's rad. That's really nice that you can kind of be supportive in that way while like having your own path within it, you know? Totally. Yeah. And so like in 12 step, I'm sure you're aware, you know, we talk about sex ideal. So like, you know, kind of who do we want to be ideally in a sexual or romantic relationship? So what do you think your sex ideal is today? Um, I just want to be a good partner and like yeah. mindful. Um, and like, I actually think, especially in like BDSM situations, like, They can be so unethical, even if there is an agreement. And I know, like, as a sub, like, I've definitely taken up a lot of space in romantic relationships because, like, I think from an outside perspective, when people think of, like, domination and submission, they think of, like, this dominating person doing all these things, and it's, like, them focusing on, like, a person who's like a supplicant or an object when really it's like all about the sub and like how the sub's <laughs> feeling and like 
what the sub's yeah. needs are. And like, I think I was a really selfish sub for a really long time. And like, now that I'm kind of like on this, like more level field where like, I would say we're like in more of like a service top and bottom situation. Um, they're like, I just like care a lot more about like what my partner's needs are. That's so nice. I mean, because I do think that like that part is rarely like named in such like detail. But yeah, it can be very easy to be like, if I'm not having fun, no one's having fun. Yeah. These are my needs. <laughs> yeah. Like, and not even like being a brat, just being like, it, it is all about me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to, that you like mentioned kind of becoming aware of that in this relationship and like how, how with health, like it evolves into something that looks different, but maybe feels better. Mm hmm. Um, and finally, before we jump into the lightning round of, of, uh, you know, the, the thrilling finale of sober sex, um, what do you love? Oh my God. Like <laughs> the light one. Love in what way? Really like, any, any possible way. It can be like anything from dancing with my friends to like total, total loss of consciousness and fantastic sexual act out of like whatever you okay. love. Well, I definitely like most of all love my dog. Um, <laughs> she is so weird. Um, <laughs> and I, I just love like experiencing like anything experiential and like creating situations where people can like create a memory and um I love going on like road trips and I love the desert and I love the expanse and I love limitless thinking mm. um and I love engaging people like into situations where like it expands their mind Ah. Oh. That is such a beautiful and like rich list of things that you love. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. And you've expanded our minds. So Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Like, thank you for being such a wonderful guest. Yeah. So before we bounce, we're going to dive briefly into the lightning round. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so don't think, just go with, go with your first instinct. Uh, you want to, you want to start a little? Well, is that the, it says, do not send a guest. Cause it's supposed to be surprising. Okay. This is a bit on the same page of what we were just talking about, but what turns you on today? Leather. Sick. Uh, what is your favorite food or meal? Pasta. Pasta. <laughs> any, any specific kind or just like overall? Like any noodle. <laughs> any noodle. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what's the best book, movie, or series that you've consumed recently? Darcy and Stacy. Darcy and Stacy? It's a reality show. Okay. Oh my God, I don't even know Yeah, what is this? You have to tell us about this now. Oh gosh. It's from the 90 Day Fiance franchise. Um, <laughs> and they're like two twins who live in Middletown, Connecticut, or Middlesex, Connecticut. I don't know which one. And they have like, yeah, they have like tons of um, cosmetic surgery and they like have really dramatic dating lives and date like, um, 
like under 30 European men. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm in. Incredible. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, where can we find you and or bound on the World Wide Web? Uh, www.boundnyc.com uh, at bound underscore NYC on Instagram. And I am at katyrex.digital on Instagram. Don't try and add me on Twitter because it's not happening. <laughs> this is a hard flex to end the, to end the show with. thank you so much Katie for being such a wonderful guest thank you thank so you. much